This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Moranalytics Podcast is brought to you by Paul Cellular. Paul Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print. Paul strives to be the best value in wireless while supporting their customers with the service that they deserve and that they expect. Their mission's quite simple, to provide the best user experience possible for everyday life. They got you covered nationwide in the U.S. with unlimited talk, text, and premium, fast LTE data plans, Hotspot coverage with no additional cost in all 50 states and the U.S. Caribbean regions with additional coverage available in both Canada and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines and unlimited text and data across 210 countries. There are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There are no overage costs. You could just live life and focus on you. Life is better with Pulse. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's up, podcast fans? How you doing? Welcome to episode 114 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented by Pulse Cellular. It's a special Saturday morning episode. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you haven't yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so. This is actually being taped overnight Friday, shortly after the conclusion of the day two of the NFL draft. The Bills have made four selections so far, including two trade-ups. Here to help me talk about them and a lot more Bills stuff is my buddy Ryan Talbot, Buffalo Bills writer from NewYorkUpstate.com. What's going on, Ryan? Thanks for coming on with me on a really late on a Friday night. Actually, it's Saturday morning now uh, to do this. I know you had a lot of writing to do as well. How you doing, man? What's going on? Hey, I'm doing great. You know, it's my, one of my favorite weekends of the year. So uh, happy to be on. Happy to talk the Bills picks with you. It is a busy week. You know, it, it kind of. It reminds me in a way of being married when you, you plan it forever and then your wedding day comes and it, in the blink of an eye, it's gone. I kind of feel like that's how the first two days of the draft have been. You wait forever. You have so many articles, so many podcasts, so many discussions about the draft, and then you blink your eyes and we're already going on to day three. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. You know, the first two nights have flown by. Uh, Brendan Bean has definitely kept us on our toes here. Showing that aggressiveness, making two moves, as you already alluded to here on night two of the draft. Well, 
I'll tell you what, let's do this. I don't want to make this a very long episode. First of all, we're up really late. And secondly, I feel like the window for most people to listen to this is going to be Saturday morning. So I don't want to take up too much time. So let's just get right down to business. I'm going to run through the guys. Now I'm going to get some thoughts and lay out some scenarios on everything Buffalo's done thus far. And let's start with Ed Oliver because for a lot of people, that was a surprise that it ended up playing out that way. On a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised were you to see Ed Oliver on the board at 9? I would say about a 9. Uh, you, you know, early in the draft process, he, he was falling to Buffalo. He was actually falling past Buffalo in some scenarios down to that uh, Atlanta Falcons range. But then within the last two, three weeks, uh, all of a sudden he started going top five and especially top three to the New York Jets, which you, you could see the fit there. You could see how he would he would play a role in Greg Williams's defense or how he would be a potential fit there. So. When you start seeing that, especially from those the, the big NFL draft analysts, the, the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world, so to speak, you know they get pretty good intel that time of the year, especially when you get close to the draft. So it, it, it looked like the Bills are going to have to move on to their plan B, whether that be whether that would have been a TJ Hawkinson or Jonah Williams. Uh, but then you know on the actual night of the draft, thank goodness for teams like the Raiders and the Giants. Uh, making some surprise picks, making maybe some head-scratching picks, and, and all of a sudden, Ed Oliver falls right into Buffalo's lap. Yeah, me and Aaron Quinn from Cover One did our final mock draft on Tuesday, and we ended up with Ed Oliver, but that's only because the computer had simulated the first eight picks. I made it very clear that I didn't think it was going to happen, and then I did a YouTube um, video, an exclusive content audio thing I have on my YouTube channel, and I explained that I did not think that Ed Oliver was going to be there. And that ultimately it would come down to a pick between Hawkinson or Jonah Williams. And that was if the Bills got lucky. I thought that three things needed to happen for somebody good to fall. I didn't know if it would be Ed Oliver or Josh Allen in one. I mean, it literally played out that way. Tampa Bay would take a linebacker because the Bills don't want a linebacker. The Giants would take a quarterback, which did happen. And then the Raiders, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Don't get me wrong, he can end up being a pro ball, a stud, but Pharrell, but that was a shot. How stunned were you when that happened? And, and, and when that did happen, did you immediately think, holy shit, man, Ed Oliver or TJ Hawkinson, one of those two guys just might fall to Buffalo? Yeah, absolutely. I actually said one of four guys were going to fall to Buffalo out of Josh Allen or uh, Ed Oliver, Jonah Williams, or TJ Hawkinson. And, you know, at that point, you're kind of sitting pretty thinking, they're going to get one of their top targets if they end up sitting at nine. And, and, you know, with Oliver or Josh Allen, I think that would have been a slam dunk to stay at nine. Uh, had they both been gone, maybe the Bills wouldn't have stayed there for the likes of a Hawkinson or the, you know, uh, the likes of someone else like a Jonah Williams. Maybe that that would have been a move down scenario at that point. But those two are slam dunk options. And, and after that pick by the Raiders, which, again, why don't you trade down? There had to be some teams trying to get up, offering you um, something at least reasonable or respectful uh, that you could have said, okay, I am still going to be able to get Cleveland Farrell at 12, 13, 14 in that range. And again, I'm, I'm not sure any of those teams are necessarily calling them specifically, but there had to be someone calling, trying to get to that pick. And, and that would have just given them more, uh, draft stock this year, next year, and, and so on and so forth. You know, all, all of those players that the, the Raiders selected in the first round are good players. 
it, it just really felt like some of them were out of place and, and it could have been had a lot later than they were. Now, regarding the surprise, that was great that it worked out that way. But forget the surprise for a second. What are your thoughts on Ed Oliver as a football player? Oh, I love Ed Oliver's prospect. In mid-March, late March, you know, I had an article out there that said something along the lines of the Bills are being are serious about getting the best player available. It would be Ed Oliver because, you know, those those top three, four uh, players or Quinnen Williams, Josh Allen, et cetera, I thought would clearly be off the board by nine or around that area. Where was but he I on your board? I, where was he on your big board? Like if you had, I don't know if you actually made a physical big board, but if you had one, where would he have been on your big board? He probably would have been between two and three. I, you know, I, I had him and Bosa kind of flipped around a little bit back and forth. I had Quinnen Williams as my clear number one, uh, but he would have been between two and three. So to get him at nine is a steal, you know, you need a three tech after uh, Kyle Williams retired. And, you, you know, you look at what they have there in terms of defensive tackle in general, not the three tech. You start Latulale, you have Jordan Phillips, you have Harrison Phillips as your top three guys there. Uh, none of them can necessarily create that interior pass rush. And that's one thing that I think Ed Oliver is going to do very well from the get-go in Buffalo. Uh, you look at Kyle Williams' snaps over the last two years, uh, over 60% of the snaps played, and that was in the twilight of his career. So it, it's not unreasonable to think that Ed Oliver could come in and from year one and play high 60s in the 70% of the snaps, as long as he gets a good grasp on the playbook and performs well in training camp in the preseason. So I, I just thought that that was uh, – uh, slam dunk pick it just made so much sense and to have a guy with that much talent fall into your laps it's just one of those scenarios where th there is no way that the bills could have moved down in that scenario with the way it played out i think it's one of those deals and i've talked about it on this show where when it came to the pick which by the time thursday came i had convinced myself that christian wilkins would be the pick because i simply didn't think ed oliver was going to be there i thought him and quinn and williams would both be gone among the first four picks but in hindsight, I think that position, it was so obvious that it was easy for people to move off of it. Like, you go back to last year, everyone knew the Bills were going to take a quarterback, and I think everyone knew the Bills wanted to get a linebacker as well. They lost Preston Brown, and they did nothing in free agency or no trades to get anyone there. So come draft time, you knew it was a position that they were going to address early, and I feel like it was the same thing with defensive tackle. You know, we spent a lot of time over these weeks by we, I mean me, you, and everybody else talking about, at one time, DK Metcalf. We're talking about Hawkinson. We're talking about defensive ends or tackles. But all along, I think it was the, there was never going to not be a defensive tackle taken early. And maybe if, you know, nightmare doomsday scenario where Oliver and Williams are gone, who knows? Maybe even Wilkins is gone at seven or eight. Somebody moves up and gets him, too, thinking the same way. They would have still moved up from 40 maybe to get one in the in the teens or in the 20s, worst case. But I feel like defensive tackle was always going to be a very early pick. And in some cases, I think we just simply overthink it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the only move that they made there was uh, re-signing Jordan Phillips to a one-year deal. So right. there wasn't a, even a long-term option there. So, yeah, w without a doubt, you know, the, the only case you can make against them taking a, a defensive tackle in round one is that this is a deep class you know, you, you had your Jerry Tillery's that you knew would be there late round one, early round two. Uh, Kalen Saunders, who went in round two tonight. 
Uh, you know, guys like that, that you could get in, in on night two of the draft if you missed out on one. But for the, for the most part, you knew that they were going early with that uh, area. Now, a few prospects are perfect, and obviously, Ed Oliver is no exception. Tell listeners who might be just casual fans, maybe something that concerns you about Ed Oliver. I had Greg Gabriel on the show last week, and he was not high on Ed Oliver at all. He thought that the Bills should pass on him at nine. Respectfully, even at the time, I disagreed with him. I thought he was just too talented. But there are concerns about him. What are one or two of those things that you think that I don't want to say that you're worried about, but just something to be aware of concerning him, why he didn't go among the first eight picks? Well, you know, one thing that people knock him on is is his size, so to speak. He's 287, so he's not a small man by any means. Uh, but but maybe he doesn't necessarily fit what you think of it, it, that defensive tackle spot. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people really made a huge deal of that whole sideline incident with the jacket uh, that took place there. But some people said back in February, back in March, when I was really hyping up at Oliver as a Bills option. Oh no, he's not a he's not a uh, process guy. Is what a lot of the fans are saying or a fit from a character's perspective because of that one incident, you know, I think something like that is overblown. Uh, I I think that at Oliver in terms of the way that he plays, that is fine. I think that he can get that interior pressure on the pass rush. I think that he will be fine against the run, especially with a guy like Starla Tulele there next to him. And, And I think, you know, up the middle of that defense, having him with Tremaine Edmonds behind him, uh, it is a pretty exciting thing to think about for the future and for years to come. So there are little things, but nothing that I would say were, were major red flags. Now you get to pick seven and it worked out perfectly. You got Josh Allen and Ed Oliver there and Jacksonville takes Josh Allen. Detroit takes TJ Hawkinson just one pick earlier. There was a lot of speculation that the Buffalo Bills were very interested in TJ Hawkinson. And from everything I've heard or people that I've talked to, that have at least there's someone in the know that was legitimate interest in TJ Hawkinson had Detroit taken someone else at eight. Like let's say maybe they took Christian Wilkins or Rashawn Gary, anybody like that. Do you think Brandon Bean would have had a tough decision to make between Oliver and Hawkinson or in your mind, was it at Oliver all the way once he was available? Uh, I think it was at Oliver all the way, just based on the big board, based on the way that they probably rank their, their prospects. They probably had a, Tier one, they had guys that they thought wouldn't be there, like a Quinn and Williams, like a Josh Hallen, like possibly an Ed Oliver. And I think Hawkinson would have been in like a tier two of, hey, these are top 10 guys. And if one of them falls into our laps, we're going to be very happy. Um, it, it would have been a, maybe a tough decision. Again, if you look at the depth aspect of there's some pretty good defensive tackles that could be had late in round one, early round two. Not necessarily the same case for the tight end position, but. If Brennan Bean was truly going from the best player available scenario, I think Oliver uh, would have made the decision and he would have been an easy decision at that. I think Ed Oliver is a genuine dude and I think he's going to make a lot of fans happy. He made a really good first impression. He was really pumped to get drafted by Buffalo. It's a big change from, if you remember back to the days of Stephon Gilmore, it looked like he was being tortured. Remember when he got drafted, he didn't have that kind of expression. Ed Oliver looked genuinely pumped. He had the Zubas on. He was pumped as hell to come to Orchard Park to visit, go to the facility. He made a really good impression on Bills fans. And I think that's, 
from a fan perspective, my favorite thing about this, well, my favorite thing about this pick is he's going to help the defense. But as an added bonus, I just, I know this is kind of cheesy, but I love the unity among fans because I can't think of a single reason why any Bills fan, if you're a real Bills fan, why you'd be pissed off about the pick. Had we taken a tight end like Hawkinson or maybe a Jonah Williams or anyone like anyone else for that matter like that, I think there would have been some fan division. Like some people would love TJ Hawkinson and some people would be like, well, there's other good tight ends. Why are you taking one in the top 10? Blah, blah, blah. This and that. I feel like the thing about Ed Oliver is, and I know this is a trivial thing, but whatever. I think it's good to have everyone on board with the same guy. You know, we live in a community, a sports community with the Bills and the Sabres where they lose so often and fans are always fighting amongst each other. You know, there's just so much division among the fan base. So it's really good to get a guy like Ed Oliver that I think universally everybody wanted. Yeah. And like you said, he showed the excitement when he grabbed the hat, you know, the, the give me that or whatever he yeah, said, the yeah. fact that <laughs> the fact that he went down right into the crowd after the fact and joined the bills fans. Uh, and, and even when he was talking with the media, talking about how, when his phone rang, he knew it was the bills he was excited that it was the Bills. He was praying that it would be the Bills because they told him in the pre-draft process, listen, if you're there, we're going to two of the coaches said we're going to be standing on the table fighting for you. And sure enough, they did. And, and that was the pick. So here's a guy that's excited to come to Buffalo. Here's a guy that fills a need. And here's a guy that was one of the probably from a talent perspective alone, a top five pick in this draft class. Let's move on to their second pick. They moved up two spots from 40 to 38, and they took Cody Ford, an offensive lineman. He could play guard or tackle. When that first went down and they moved up two spots, what was your initial reaction to that pick? Well, it made a lot of sense. There was starting to be a little bit of a run there on offensive tackle. Uh, you entered round two with a lot of talent there at that area, whether you're talking interior or on the outside. Uh, but when it comes to versatility, you know, Cody Ford made a lot of sense. He's a guy that played at guard and at tackle during his time at Oklahoma. So, again, this is a coaching staff that values versatility. This is a coaching staff that's always looking for good value. Uh, Ford was was projected as a round one pick by many NFL draft analysts uh, going anywhere pretty much from about 20 on. So to get him at pick 38, I think, was, uh, you know, quite the accomplishment for being in the Bills. And this is a guy that can come in and and fight for a job day one and, and really maybe be that missing piece after all the moves that they made in free agency to really shore up that offensive line. You know, I've been following the draftnetwork.com during the draft process because myself or me and Aaron have done a lot of mock drafts and we use their their system to do the mock drafts because it, the computer simulates other teams and they got their big board rankings. And Ed Oller was four and Cody Ford was 19 on it. So they got two of the top 19 players on that board. Having said that, though, I'm going to be honest with you, Ryan. I didn't like it at first. I came in around two with five guys on the board that I really wanted at 40. One was Irv Smith. I mentioned him already. DK Metcalf, which in hindsight, that was pretty foolish. Hakeem Butler, even more foolish. He's still out there. Dalton Risner, which I know is a guy that you like a lot. And Jalen Ferguson, who ended up going in round three. Literally, all five of those guys were on the board when the Bills moved up and got Cody Ford. So my initial reaction was one of disappointment uh yeah you know he's a talented guy but i i will say this i think reisner is only a guard at the nfl level uh, although he did say i right. believe that some teams wanted him at center so you know best case scenario for him he's an interior offensive lineman maybe he can play all three spots there 
Uh, I will say that I think that Ford can play tackle or guard. I, I do think that he uh, has a shot to make it in the NFL at tackle. I think that the fact that the Bills listed him as a tackle on their press release tells you then then obviously they came out and said we're going to give him a shot at right tackle yep. so he, he's going to get every opportunity to compete with Ty and Secchi, uh for that job and or, or it could even be a scenario where maybe if Deion Dawkins is, is struggling early maybe they let Inseki uh, compete for that spot and, and I don't want to say they would hand the job over to Ford they I'm sure you know Ladrian Waddle could compete for that spot too they, they have a lot of depth there across the board this year so they're not just going to hand this job to Ford but he, he has a really good shot to start from day one Mahler you know that's the best word to describe him good against run in terms of run blocking good against uh pass protection so to speak so uh, in all around good offensive lineman I'll tell you this much I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a team that's been more committed to revamping an offensive line in one year than I've seen with the Buffalo Bills this offseason. Yeah, without a doubt. And what it all comes down to is, you know, we don't know if Josh Allen will eventually be a, a true franchise quarterback. And, you know, what is the definition of a true franchise quarterback? Because there are teams that will hang with a middle of the road guy or a slightly above average guy, and, and they kind of get that that uh, title of a franchise QB when really that's, that's not the, the true definition. But uh, I think they saw that, listen, he, here's a guy that we invested a lot and in. we traded up for him seventh overall pick last year. We want this guy to be the face of our franchise. And one reason he ended up getting hurt was because the offensive line could not block for him last year. Right. And, and when you make a big investment like that, you need to put big money around him, so to speak, in terms of, those guys that are in front front of him that are going to be blocking for him. I, I can't even count how many times last year that Josh Allen had to take off on, on on plays that were not design runs within probably the first two seconds of the play because there was a breakdown, there was a missed block, there was a, an extra man coming in that no one picked up, and he was kind of running for his life out there. And, and don't get me wrong, sometimes – you know, he, he turned the lemons into lemonade and he, and he made a big plays out of it. But you want your quarterback to be able to scan the field, look at his reads and then say, OK, if nothing's open, I can take off then not let's run and, and you know, panic and scramble for our lives and hope that something good comes out of it. So, you know, when, when you make a move like that, when you add a quarterback in round one, I, I think that the Bills made the right move this offseason by, by investing so heavily in the offensive line because, you know, right or wrong in terms of him being a franchise quarterback, which we'll know probably in the next few years, you have to put the best protection possible in front of him to see what you can get out of him. Let's spend a quick second here projecting a little bit over the summer with this offensive line. You're talking minimum 80% of this offensive line are going to be new starters. Let's just assume Dawkins plays left tackle. That's no lock by any means, but we'll put him at left tackle for now. You probably have Spain at a guard. Morris is the one lock. He's definitely going to be playing center. That's not going to be messed around with. Naseki and Ford on the right side, potentially one of them could be the right tackle. Naseki's also capable of playing guard as well. You're probably going to want your five best guys out there, and I would think that ultimately those end up being their best five. And then you got depth, which is so much improved over last year. Let's just say if those guys do end up starting, you got Spencer Long, John Feliciano, and Adrian Waddle. Got some good depth there. And then you got a bunch of guys that are in they're in a lot of trouble, man. I, I had a tweet earlier saying that uh I hope these guys are renting. 
you know, right now because I don't think they're going to be around. Bodine and Ducasse, that goes without saying. McDermott, uh, Wyatt Teller, who became a starter at the end of last year. I don't think, listen, man, he might not make this roster. Yeah, there's no sure thing. Uh, Teller, Ike Botger, two young guys could be gone. You mentioned two guys that are almost, you know, sure things to be out of the picture. Uh, you look across, and like you said, it, I think most likely it's going to be Dawkins, Quentin Spain, Mitch Morse, uh, maybe Ty Inseki at guard because, like we were talking about, Washington at one point uh, said that he could probably play inside at guard. Um, I don't think they would necessarily want to keep him just as like the swing tackle or be paying him over $7 million a year, just kind of be sitting on the bench, especially if they want to get their best five guys out there. Right. And then you can get Ford at right tackle, but you could all, you could flip flop that. Um, Waddle can be your swing tackle. Uh, Feliciano, I think has a good chance of being quality depth. He already knows the system uh, in, in terms, well, I shouldn't say the system, but he's already worked with the offensive line coach in his career during their time with the Raiders. Same with Waddle during his time in Detroit. Uh, I believe it was Detroit off the top of my head. Now I'm kind of blanking on that, but you know, he has some experience there through his first two years yeah. in the league were his best two seasons. And Bobby Johnson was one of his coaches there. So, you know, those guys have some experience and, and I think that's going to help them and, and to have depth that already knows what Johnson expects is going to really help that offensive line as well. All right. We got to talk about what some people are going to consider a shock. Well, maybe not a shock, but definitely a surprise. The Bills in the third round take a running back. I want to get your take on him before anything else. And then we'll talk about the other guys that are already on the roster. What's your take and what's your thoughts on the Bills drafting Devin Singletary? What kind of player is he? You know, Devin Singletary is a guy that can be a three down back in this league. And that's not uh, necessarily easy to find anymore in the draft class, especially the way that a lot of these college teams uh, have have those two headed monsters. And a lot of the, the teams in the NFL go with that same approach as, as well. But, you know, Singletary in terms of a uh, in terms of his skill set has drawn comparisons to LaShawn McCoy and to Frank or being like a combination of the two. So, you know, having those two guys on the roster, it kind of makes sense that uh, Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott would kind of look at a Devin Singletary and say, this is a guy that we like. They held a private workout with him. Obviously, he did well there. Uh, I, I think he's faster than his 40 time shows. I think that he's proven in his career that he can be hard to bring down. He has a little bit of elusiveness to his game. And he's also had some of those uh, Maurice Jones-Drew uh, comparisons from some of these NFL draft analysts. So, you know, even if he's half as good as some of those backs that we're talking about, because two of them are are possible, Gore's definitely a Hall of Fame back, uh, you know, but you're talking about some guys that could be Hall of Fame running backs. If he's anywhere near that approach, I, I can see why Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott would want to add him to their roster. Well, let's unpack this a little bit because I think you're sitting there. I'm sitting there. Most people are sitting there. They're on the clock at 74. They didn't move up. They didn't move back. They kept their pick in the third round. I'm sure we were thinking defensive end, tight end, wide receiver, maybe even defensive back. And they take a running back and they do that despite the fact that they already have Shady. They already have Gore. And yeah, they're older and they only got one year left under deal. And you don't draft players just for this season. This is a pick that's for the season and for the future. And they also just signed TJ Yeldon literally just about a week or so ago. If all those guys stay healthy through camp, they're not keeping four running backs on this roster. Somebody's got to go. 
What do you think happens? Again, and this is if everyone stays healthy. Someone's got to be the odd man out because they're not keeping all four of these guys on the roster. What do you think happens here down the road? You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's LaShawn McCoy that's the odd Me man either. out. And I know that that sounds a little funny, but Yeldon signed for two years at, at a pre- pretty uh, reasonable contract. You have Frank Gore, who is a locker room leader, who is a guy that would be an incredible mentor for a rookie running back. Uh, so in terms of what he brings to the table, not just on the field, but off the field, I, I would have a hard time thinking that they would sign Gore so early in free agency just to let him go before the start of the season. Uh, you know, I think it could be LaShawn McCoy that's the odd man out. And, you know, part of me says that that's a bit of a shame because last year, Josh Allen's rookie season, he, he was all about Josh Allen. He was very... Uh, complimentary of Allen in terms of, you know, what he saw from him, thinking he was going to be a star. He seems to really like him. But at the same time, he's coming off of his worst season as a pro. I uh, had some trouble finding running lanes, even when they were available to him. And that didn't necessarily happen often. But I think maybe his confidence was show- so shot by the end of the year that even when running lanes did emerge, he didn't necessarily trust them or trust himself. So, you know, maybe the Bills think, hey, we might still be able to get some value out of this guy, whether that means tomorrow in terms of a, a day three pick. You know, is that what they really want to get for him? Maybe. Is it a player for player swap? Sure. Maybe maybe there's a position they want to address. And they think that uh, there's a veteran out there that they can they can get that makes sense for them at, at a position of need. You know, so I, I think anything's on the table and, and you could see him out of here. Uh, out of Buffalo sooner rather than later. I agree with you 150%. And furthermore, one thing too is they would also save, what is it? If they just cut them, they could save like, I think it's around $6.4 million or something like that against the salary cap. Now, if I was going to play devil advocate, I would also suggest that, you know, TJ Yeldon is a guy who sat around a free agency for almost a month unsigned. He signs with the Bills, and I'm pretty sure that not much, if anything, was promised to him at all. You know, they, he was told he would have a chance. I mean, he signed on a team even before the draft that already had LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore to it. So he knew where his role was probably going to be on this team at best when he signed that contract. And I I would surmise to say that I wouldn't be surprised at all if they said, well, you'll have a chance to compete in training camp, but nothing's promised. Sign with us now. And he did. Yeah, no, and, and that's fair. Maybe Buffalo signed him as an insurance policy in case they they couldn't land a Singletary in the draft and they didn't get one of those targets in the first, you know, two days of the draft. They said, well, listen, maybe there's no one else that we want. So we're just going to go with those three. It's definitely possible. Uh, He's more of a pass catching threat. In fact, at this point in his career, you know, he can run the ball. He can be effective, but there's not a lot of money tied to him. There's not necessarily a long-term, uh, plan for Yeldon other than the fact that he is signed for two years under contract next year as well. So if, if they do want to have another back under contract for next season, uh, not just 2019, you know, that may be a case to keep him, especially at a reasonable price. But no, you're, you're right. You you could also get rid of Yeldon because he, he could have simply just been insurance for this team. And it could be a move where you say, OK, well, listen, hey, you're going to get some money out of this from us. I don't know what the guarantees were or how I think it's how only like five, I think it was only like around five hundred K was a signing bonus or something. It right. Was so which, you know, to us that's a ton of money, but to the NFL and to the Bills that wouldn't be much. So you could cut ties there. 
Sure. I guess in all in all, what I didn't like about the pick is three picks went right after, literally right after that in a row, were guys that I really would have liked. Uh, Jay Sternberger, the tight end, went to Green Bay with the next pick. Terry McLaurin went to Washington right after that. And Chase Winovich, the, the defensive end, I think, from Michigan. He went to New England. Of course he did. Who were you zoned in on with that pick? Like, who were you wanting? Not saying that you don't like Devin Singletary. I, I, I kind of feel probably the same way. He's here. I'll embrace him. I'll like him. And maybe he'll turn into a great player. And two years from now, we'll feel foolish for saying that we didn't want him with this pick. But as that pick was happening, what, what were you hoping for? You know, it's actually funny. It's almost a nice transition here. I tweeted out uh, before the pick that I was looking at Sternberger and I was looking at Dawson Knox. Really? And those are the two guys that I said I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills took. I thought maybe they were targeting uh, tight end because I, I have Knox as the number four tight end in this draft class. And I know there were a few that went before him, uh, San Jose State tight end. Uh, Josh Oliver, I believe, off the top of my head, that I think it could be pretty good as well if you can develop him. There's some other guys, but, you know, I was thinking maybe they would take Dawson Knox there just because he is that uh, prototypical NFL tight end in terms of the size, speed, and and I wasn't sure if they felt he would fall to them in, in round four, and as we know, they ended up trading up for him in round three at the very end of the draft and ended up landing him, so you know, it obviously shows that Brendan Bean, the Bills, no more than the, the common fan, the, the common writer, because they, they obviously follow their board and it paid off for them. I got to give a shout out, by the way, um, from Twitter. Air Force Bills fan tweeted at me. He said, Pat, ask Ryan. I was banging the Dawson Knox drum all night on Twitter. So glad we got him. He says, can I call call in to join the pod? I'm like, well, you can't do that, dude. But he says, they're just a <laughs> shout out on the pod. So. Got to give him a shout out there. So Dawson Knox, they give up two, both both their fourth round picks to get him 112 and 131 to move up to 96 with Washington. You good with that trade? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good with that trade. Like I said, uh, here's a guy that was my tight end number four behind, uh, you know, the, the two Iowa tight ends behind Irv Smith Jr. I just really think that this is a guy that'll be a better pro than a prospect. Uh, ran about a four, five, 40 yard dash, great vertical. Uh, didn't ever have any touchdowns during his career at Old Miss, but there were so many other weapons in that offense, especially in the passing game, where I think he was a little overshadowed. He still averaged almost 19 yards per reception. That jumps off the page. So you want that guy in the middle of the field that can get open in that intermediate to deep range. Uh, I just think that that's Dawson Knox to a T. Uh, I just think that he's going to get better opportunities. I think that he was not necessarily used properly and and he just jumps off the charts in terms of being an athlete. So the bills go into Saturday, which is actually today and a couple hours from now, they got a fifth round pick and then they got one in the sixth and two in the seventh. It's kind of late to really ask for specific players, but is there a position with that say fifth round pick if they stay there? What would you like to see addressed? Like if you could have your pick right now, not necessarily the player because there's still a lot of picks to get to before you get to 147, but a position where you'd like to see another guy added. Well, you know, I think there's still three positions that I would like like to see the Bills address next. There's obviously wide receiver. Uh, You you know, I think that some of these wide receivers on on Buffalo's current roster are, are probably breathing a sigh of relief right now, just thinking, okay, they didn't add anyone early. We we have a legit shot of winning a roster spot. 
which may that may not have been the case if they added a guy in round two or round three. Um, so I think wide receiver, though, is on the board here on day three of the draft. But the two positions that I would really like to see addressed are linebacker and cornerback. You, they're going to get a cornerback at some point in this draft. It's Sean McDermott. He's always going to add a cornerback at some point. Uh, and I, I am a big Levi Wallace fan, so it does not have to be in round five by any means. I think that EJ Gaines, when healthy, is a great uh, fit in this defense, as he actually showed during his first stint here. I'm interested to see if Kevin Johnson can stay healthy. Taron Johnson, when he was on the field, uh, played very, very well. But you have a lot of guys that have some injury concerns, whether you're talking about Kevin Johnson, Taron Johnson, who seemed to uh, go down with some kind of shoulder ailment, uh, you know, almost every other game it felt like, whether it was just missing a few plays or whether it was sitting out the rest of a game. Uh, you just had some question marks there, and obviously we know about uh, EJ Gaines's history there as well. So that's one thing. And I would also like to see them go after an outside linebacker, someone that Lorenzo Alexander can mentor, uh, because this is reportedly going to be his last season in Buffalo, last season in the NFL. Now, obviously, that could change if he's still playing at a high level, if he's still loving it. Maybe he decides he wants to sign another one-year deal. But he is the type of guy that will go out of his way to teach some young player the ropes. Uh, Buffalo obviously has a knack for finding defensive talent in these later rounds, as Taron Johnson shows, as Matt Milano shows. So I think that they could identify someone here on day three to say, this is the guy that we want Lorenzo Alexander to mentor this is a guy that uh, has a lot of talent, and we think that he could end up being a starter in this defense in 2020. Yeah, and by the way, I shouldn't just so easily dismiss a fifth rounder. They've had, the Bills have had a history of drafting some pretty good guys in the fifth round. So anyway, let's go around the league real quick, too. Josh Rosen got traded to Miami Dolphins. I love this deal for Miami, by the way. It's so low risk. That contract's bad. They can get out because Arizona's eating all the dead cap money now. You know what I mean? Miami, they could get out of it easily if they don't, if things don't work out this year, if Josh Rosen doesn't play well, or if he stinks, they could just get rid of him after this year, go out and get another quarterback next year. You know what I mean? I love this deal for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I'm with you 100% there. Uh, when, when I mentioned that actually on Twitter, someone says, well, it's kind of like when you buy a car and you take it off the lot, it, it loses its value. I said, well, you know, in my head, that's more Josh Rosen right now, the situation that they traded him, that's more like, destroying your car and trying to take it back to the line, get anything for it. You know, you total it and you say, Oh, I'd like to take this back now. Right after you drive it off the lot, it, this was a late second round pick for a guy that you took at number 10, one year ago. Yeah, and I just get it one year, man, one year. And, and I get that you, you feel that Kyler Murray can be a dynamic player in your offense. Uh, and, and that's fine. And that all makes sense to me, but, for the Dolphins, you know, like you said, low cap hits. Uh, if the if they're as bad as some people are projecting them to be this year, whether it's with Rosen or Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, both of them can be gone at the end of the year. And all of a sudden, you can bring in a quarterback from next year's draft class, which I'm not going to sit here and say is going to be significantly better than, than this current draft class. But there's a few quarterbacks that have a real shot of being uh, pretty solid players in the NFL. Obviously, you know, people are saying tank for Tua. Tua is, has some flaws in his game, just like any other quarterback. But, you know, th they could end up landing a guy like Tua or um, Jalen Hurts or, you know, something like that along the way. So 
they're not tied to Rosen long term, but they also don't have to pay him much to keep him under contract. Yeah, I'll tell you what, to the AFC East, now they got three of the top four quarterbacks from last year's class. And by the way, they also had the top three defensive tackles from this year's class. class. Quinton Williams went to the Jets. Christian Wilkins is in Miami. And of course, now Ed Oliver's in Buffalo. These teams are just gearing up, waiting for Tom Brady to finally get out of here, man. Yeah, you know, and that's just it. They're, they're adding those pieces to get after uh, Tom Brady. Ed <laughs> Oliver, like I said, that interior pass rush, make him a little uncomfortable in the pocket. That's what they're definitely hoping for there. Uh, Quinnen Williams, an all-around great game there, too. Uh, and then same as well for the Clemson defensive tackle. You know, very athletic guy that can also create a little bit of a pass rush up the middle. So you can see that they all, they're all trying to create that blueprint of what can we do to stop New England. And truth be told, that's what you have to do until Tom Brady retires because, you know, they're going to keep ruling this league most likely until Brady and or Belichick walk away from the game. Yeah, no doubt about it. So we're two nights into the draft. We still got later today at this point. What has been your favorite and least favorite thing about this draft, whether it's the Bills or the NFL in period? Your favorite and your least favorite thing over these first two nights? Well, that's a great question. You know, least favorite, I guess, is going to go to the Raiders. Not, not so far, not so much for the picks, but I really was hoping that when Mike Mayock became their general manager, that he would be able to have more of an, an input or say in the picks. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have any, but these have just really felt like John Gruden picks and, you know, some reaches, some, some picks that have gone a little bit earlier than you anticipate. Um, so th- that, that's what I'm most upset about or what I like the least in terms of what I like the most. Uh, I, I like Buffalo's draft class. I think they're doing a really nice job through two days. I like the fact that Brendan Bean realized that there really probably aren't 10 roster spots open on, you know, on this team for 10 draft picks, so to speak, you're just going to have undrafted guys coming into after the draft, they're going to be fighting for spots. So why not wheel and deal and get some, you know, top 100 prospects that you covet, bring those guys in because they're valuable. They are those four players that they've already drafted are obviously going to be on the, the 53 man roster this season. Um, and then there's also some other draft classes. I, I'm a big fan of Jacksonville's draft class to date. They had Josh Allen fall into their lap, uh, similar to what happened to the Bills in round one. They end up taking Juwan Taylor in round two, a guy that was viewed as a top 10, top 15 pick. And as long as that knee checks out, uh, that could pay dividends. They've, they've done this before. You know, Miles Jack, he fell all the way to them a few years back. And he's kind of proven them right where he's really flashed on the field at times. So I like when teams aren't necessarily afraid to take those risks on players where if healthy, they would have been clear cut first round prospects. So those are two teams that I really like to date so far in the draft. Yeah, by the way, I really like Denver, what they've done with this draft. I love Noah Fant. I like Dalton Reisner a lot. And I like Drew Locke, especially in the second round. I like Tremaine Jones, the defensive tackle from Ohio State. They got him in the third, too. So I like Denver's draft. Listen, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'd be lying if I said I loved the Buffalo Bills draft as a whole right now. I'm not sold on either of their picks in the third round, and I don't have anything against Cody Ford, and he might become a great player. But I really wanted Irv Smith Jr. with that pick, and we'll see how it plays out down the road. I think he went to a team in Minnesota that's not, I don't know that that's the best fit for him. 
They got Kyle Rudolph there. So we'll have to see how that pans out. But I really, I don't know what it, I just banged the table for him. I really wanted that guy a lot. So I'm not too happy overall. But my favorite thing about this draft, it, it's simple as this, is getting Ed Oliver because I genuinely, and I'm not just saying this, I legitimately did not think that it, it was going to happen. I did not think there was any way that he was going to fall past five. I thought if the Buffalo Bills were going to be able to trade for him, they would have to move up to five to get him. So for him to fall there has been my favorite. My least favorite thing, like I said, is passing on Irv Smith in the second round. Also, my least favorite thing, too, if you notice two of the three picks that the Bills made on Friday, they cut the commercials literally right before the Bills pick, and then we had to wait for the commercials to find out who it was going to be. Because I'll tell you what, you know on Twitter you can get things a handful of seconds early at times. When the Bills were getting on the clock, I, t- I got away from my computer. I didn't want to know. I took I put my phone away. I didn't want to get any texts or see any tweets. I wanted to see it live on TV. And two or three times the Bills picked it, man. They got to a commercial before it. Yeah, I get that. And I saw the picks on Twitter ahead of time. And I, I feel funny about spoiling them. I just won't do it. Um, it's just not something that I think is worth doing personally. I mean, if someone really wants to search it out, it's not hard to find. Right. So I'll, I'll let those, uh, national, uh, analysts do that instead, because I just know that some fans want to watch it like you, they want to enjoy it. And if you are on social media, you're risking losing that, uh, by seeing it just come across your feed. I'll tell you what, this was going to be my Last topic, but you kind of segued into it. I got, I got to take care, and I got to say it. I'm really pissed off at LaShawn McCoy right now. I'm not going to lie to you. That was bullshit what he did. And I don't know if you've seen the Avengers yet. I don't know if you are interested in seeing the Avengers yet. But not once, not twice, three separate times, he spoiled a big part of the, the movie on Twitter. All these fans follow him, and I've gotten my mentions <laughs> blown up tonight, by the way. Some good, some bad nasty on both ends but you don't do that shit man that's one of the biggest movies most anticipated movies of the decade if not longer it's going to be one of the highest grossing movies of all time and you're sitting there talking about people who have died on it on your tweets that's just wrong it's bullshit now if the movie was out for a week or two that's one thing give fans a chance to see it now by the way i saw it on thursday night i actually missed the first round of the draft because my wife scored tickets. It was almost like a lottery system down here in Florida to get tickets for a premiere night. It was preview night, I should say. My wife, myself, and my son went. The three of us went as a family. So I already knew what happened. He didn't spoil it for me. I just thought it was real bullshit to do that. I, th- I It was a dick move, man. It was a dick move. He did it on purpose. Yeah, I, I don't want to give anything away for people listening either. Uh, that, that I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, I can understand getting I'm gonna about bleep it. Out, I'm going to bleep out that part that I just said about any name, but I will <laughs> okay. say again, he did spoil it. So if you happen to not see LaShawn McCoy's tweets, don't, but they're hard to avoid because it's become a story. I've seen Barstool Sports had a post on it. I think Deadspin might've done something on it already too. Yeah, there's a lot out there. I did a story a, on it, it, but I made it's a dick move. I made sure not to put any spoilers in the actual article. I didn't say what he said. I just said that a lot of fans, you know, these are the reactions to it. Uh, it it's definitely an unpopular move. It's definitely a move that he should not have made. Uh, these, this is a movie that I am looking forward to seeing. You know, obviously there's so many movies that went into making this final movie, so to speak, uh, Endgame. That is so. 
I, I get why people would be very, very upset about it. I'm also probably going to be like one of the worst people in terms of seeing it. I'll probably take me a few weeks to see it. I have kids, you know, I have things going on. I have the draft. Right, that's the whole uh, thing. That's listen. Exactly. I saw. I know how it works, bro. That's I went Thursday night because I knew that if I didn't, what would happen? I people like me and you have to be on Twitter. I hear it all the time. Well, what the fuck are you doing on Twitter? Well, hello. I have a podcast to promote. I have things that I got to do on Twitter. You have articles that you're writing. You need to be on Twitter. It's unavoidable for people like us to be on Twitter. And people are like, well, it's just a movie. That's not the point, man. There's no reason to do that shit. It was just weak, man. It was a real dick move. No matter what, no one's going to talk me out of that. It was a complete dick move. Uh, and, and I understand the anger and I understand why uh, some people would be very, very upset about it because some people get very invested in these movies. And like I said, I, I'm I'm terrible terrible about it. I don't even know what year The Matrix came out, but I still haven't seen that. And that's like <laughs> on my I'm gonna see that eventually. So you know, maybe someone will spoil that on my feed tomorrow and I'll be like, oh, don't need to see it anymore. So uh, you know, I probably have a laundry list of movies that I need to still watch. People are like you've never seen them. I'm like, no, I'm gonna get around to it. So you, you know, I I get that, especially when it just came out. At, uh, you know, the preview was just on Thursday night. The real first premiere date was Friday. So there has to be a buffer window there of a few weeks at least before you can uh, say something like that. You can that. talk about the movie. It was great. It sucked. Oh, I can't believe this. Or I was shocked or whatever. But you don't have to have specifics. You just, it's just, there's no reason for it. Ugh. All right. I got to get off that, man. Let's wind down here. Let's talk about the Bills for a quick minute here. Post draft. Okay. The draft for all. And I mean, it's not over. They're going to get a couple more guys later on today. But how are you feeling about this team right now? Free agencies, for the most part, over. They're going to add a body or two. Who knows? Maybe they still sign Ziggy Anza as well. But they've gotten their main core draft guys now. They've gotten their main free agents. How are you feeling about this team as they're going to get ready to go into like OTAs and voluntary camps and then training camp ultimately? Well, I just think that Brendan Bean has done a good job of molding the roster and his vision and what Sean McDermott wants. You know, whether that's right or wrong, we won't know until obviously the end of this season. Um, but he, there's, there was a major roster turnover in, in these last two years where the bills ate a lot of dead cap. And, and this was the first year where they were out of that uh, salary cap prison, so to speak. And, you know, you look at this roster and it it pretty much looks completely different than what it was before. Yeah. Your quarterback room is the same right now. You still have, uh, LaShawn McCoy is your main uh, running back, but you, you look across the room, you, you have Robert Foster who emerged last year with over 500 yards receiving pretty much from just week 10 on, and he became a big play threat. You brought in John Brown to be another deep threat there, and you have Cole Beasley and Zay Jones in the middle. Tight end, you just addressed that. You have a brand new offensive line that we talked about. Uh, you, you add an Ed Oliver to the defensive line. You, you have uh, a special middle linebacker in Tremaine Edmonds who every single week he improved by the end of the year. You really saw what the Bills saw in him, and he's only going to get better in the next few years because he's still so young. Matt Milano was playing at a Pro Bowl level, in my opinion, before that gruesome injury. Hopefully he comes back 100%. Uh, and, and then you have a secondary that I think that uh, Sean McDermott and Brendan Bean really like. So, they really made over this roster. They really addressed special teams this offseason, adding an Andre Roberts to the mix, a guy that can come in and uh, flip field position. That's going to be huge. They added, you know, a Sonoris Perry, who's going to have a very hard time making this roster if they do keep some of those bigger names. 
but he was a, he's a special team standout. So they had, they knew their weaknesses, they knew their flaws, and they made sure to address it, uh, whether it be in free agency or so far in the draft. Last question here, and then I'm going to let you go. We're closing in on the 2 a.m. hour right now. Vegas has the over-under, at least going into this draft, it was at 6.5 for wins. I think that's too low. I'm going to set it one one more win higher, okay? 7.5 is going to be the over-under. I'm going to tell you that your life depends on it right now. Are the Bills going to go over or under 7.5 based on this roster that you see right now? I'm taking the over. Uh, I think they're 8, 9, maybe 10 win team. Maybe that's being optimistic. You look at this uh, You look at this schedule. So you have the AFC East. I, I, st- I think that they'll sweep the Dolphins. I think that you split with the Jets. So there's three wins right there. You look at the NFC East. You have the, uh, the Giants. There's a, a win, in my opinion. I think that they can beat Washington, although Washington's having one heck of a draft as well. Um, so, you, you know, you have a few there. there. You're going to go against um, the AFC North this year, and I think the Bengals is a very winnable game. I think the Ravens is a very winnable game if you can stop the run. I think I still think that there's a lot of questions about Lamar Jackson as a passing quarterback. Pittsburgh's weaker than uh, what they appear to be in most years. I think that's suddenly a winnable game. Cleveland, maybe not so much, but there, there's always a few games where the Bills surprise you. There's going to be a few letdowns as well along the way. But I, I really feel comfortable saying that this is probably going to be an eight-win team this year. Uh, so I would I would take the over in that situation. You know, I wanted to call you a homer, man, but I actually agree with you. <laughs> you make too many good points. I The talent is better. I think the offensive line is going to be so much better. I'll tell you this, though. Win or lose, I'm really looking forward to Josh Allen playing this year. More talent. He's got two good receivers, two new receivers, an exciting new running back who may or may not be a decent part of this offense this year. But most importantly, that offensive line is just going to be so much better. I'm, I can't wait. Yeah, they added a lot of talent around him. And again, a a big part of that prediction is the schedule. I think that the NFC East is weak this year. I think there's that the AFC North is weaker than it's been in years overall, top to bottom. So there's just some winnable games there. And and obviously Buffalo plays common opponents in terms of where they finished last year, and that will help too. So I, I do think that eight wins is very attainable this year. You know what? Actually, one note to here as we're getting out, and I'm sure you'll reiterate this point too. I want to send love and prayers to Ezra Castro, a.k.a. Ponchabilia. He's not doing well. He's been on this show twice. I've had many conversations with him about lots of things, including wrestling. He's a huge wrestling fan. And I know I, I see some things on Twitter, and I get it to an extent. You know, little Poncho overkill. He does this, does that, involved with this. But he deserves it, man. He's just a great guy. You know, it's it's one thing to be a super fan, and he is a super fan. Make no mistake about it. But he's just a great human being, and I really I feel for the guy. I love that guy a lot, man. And I really all I could do is just hope for the best. And I'm sure you echo those sentiments as well. Oh, without a doubt, praying for him daily, thinking about him all the time. I uh, really think it was a nice touch what the Bills did in round one, letting him call in the pick. Love Coy Wire having him on the phone tonight. So. You know, it really shows you that bond, too, between the Bills and their fan base. Yeah, no doubt. All right, man, everyone. Ryan Talbot, NewYorkUpstate.com. Follow him on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. Check out his work at NewYorkUp.com. 
Dude, thanks a lot for doing this. Again, I know it's been a crazy couple nights. It's about two o'clock in the morning. You watched the draft. You had to pound out your articles and stuff. So thanks a lot for pretty much pulling an all-nighter at this point doing this with me. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, that is going to be a wrap for this episode. Big thank you again, Ryan Talbot, NewYorkUpstate.com. Not just for doing the podcast with me, but for literally recording it overnight here on Friday. Really appreciate you, Ryan. Really good insight, good stuff. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. You subscribe, new episodes automatically will get sent directly to your phone, your computer, laptop, whatever. Literally within just seconds of the release. That's always the benefit of subscribing. You're going to get it before anyone else does. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. This week, I decided to do it on Saturday instead of Friday so that we could talk about the first three rounds of the draft instead of just the first round. You can also subscribe now to our Moranalytics Podcast YouTube page. Just go on YouTube, type in Moranalytics Podcast, hit subscribe there. Click that little bell so you'll get notifications when new content comes out. I've been putting highlight clips from current and past episodes on there. I've begun the process of having some original audio content on there as well. Something you'll only get there, not on this podcast. So go ahead and do that. And last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PatMoranTweets. Thanks again for listening. As always, I say it every week because I mean it. I truly do appreciate each and every single one of you. It means a lot to me that you listen. I'll be back with a new episode on Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.